guys. Good evening. Welcome to the second to last Wednesday of March, which in our household represents March Madness to the nth degree. Yes. Are you guys March Madness people oh, in your house? Come on or? now. Yes. No? Tom's a solid no. So. Yeah. Hard no. Yeah. We um, we've had a lot of TV time over the last uh, few few days, so I'd like so to say we fill out a bracket, and I notoriously lose. I. And my daughter, I think, is beating me now, and she can barely read <laughs> names on there. So. Well, it blew apart Sunday, didn't it? Well, yeah, when Sunday. Illinois got beat. Yeah, I almost burned mine in the woods. The only reason I know that is I ate lunch with him, so <laughs> wouldn't know otherwise. I followed it for a short minute because mm -hmm. uh, I actually work with the uncle of Kate Cunningham. Oh, there you go. Place, you know, but then they were out the first round, so, yeah. It's fun until it's not. Yeah. yeah. Right. Anyway, um, so tonight we have three topics as always. Uh, as we are approaching Easter, uh, we decided to do a topic on the resurrection. Um, our small group just did a study over the case for Christ, and part of that topic was on the proof of the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, they mentioned that up until the last century, the resurrection was viewed as a historical fact whether you were a follower of christ or not it was just it was a fact um and recently as is the world we're in today there you know there's a lot of questioning on the validity of if this right. even happened and um, questioning all of it so tonight we're going to discuss some of the um proof or the evidence that the resurrection is a historical event so to basically my intention, because I, I preached on this years and years ago, and uh, I came across uh, Hank Hanegraaff's approach to it. And so what I want to do, though, because it, what he does is very thorough, I want to give everyone else a chance type thing, because you guys may have the same material. And so I don't want to, you know, repeat it type thing. But uh, I think the, the one of the first things that I want every Christian to know is that um, the first proof that every one of us should absolutely rely on is the change that Jesus has made in our lives. I mean, I mean that, for people that are being confronted with that, if you will, that should be your first guttural response, and I mean that in a loving way, is that, well, and first of all, also, it's very valid for people to question. That's an okay thing. It, you know, sometimes the things that make you mad sh should be a mirror, you know, and show you that that's really not something you should get mad about. They are inquiring. Now, they may be doing it in a snotty way. They may be doing it whatever. But the point is is that they are seeking knowledge. So take that as an opportunity. Um, and, and, you know, one of my f favorite quotes is we have a word for people who are trying to prove that Christ is not valid, we call them converts, because the deeper they get into the truths and the facts of creation and resurrection, you know, they, now they've got a decision to make. This guy is real, so am I going to follow him or not? And that's essentially the story behind the case for Christ. Right. Lee Strobel started out as an atheist, and that was, and there's a lot of other people like him that Josh McDowell. once they got deep into the study of the Christian faith, they couldn't deny anymore the proof that Jesus was real, that he is who he says he is, and that he's here for each one of us. That's right. So, you know, the the, the folks that, that like to deny it, they like to call themselves, that the, the reason that they don't believe it is because they are an honest 
intellectual. Well, then you, you've got them, honestly, at that point. If they're truly an honest intellectual, then they're going to weigh both sides. And so if you're going to weigh both sides, that means you've got to get the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. You're going to get the book, A Case for Christ and such, and, and look at the evidence that's there. And, and, and then you will be able to honestly say, okay, well, I'm just not going to follow Christ because I don't want to. Now you're an honest intellectual still, you know, uh, but, but you're not going to not follow Christ because there's no evidence. The evidence is, is filthy. I mean, it's just there. So, uh, Brother Gavin, uh, give us your evidence that the resurrection is real. So, so I, I start off with the discussion of when you think about a resurrection, when you think about a, a dead body becoming alive again, thinking that's so over-the-top ridiculous. Let's start there. So if you think that it's so ridiculous that some animal or some person is dead and then made back to life, that's in, beyond belief. That, that uh, I guess, disbelief or skepticism goes away when you get a grasp of how complex this body is to begin with. The biology behind this is so sophisticated, so intricate. We've got billions of dollars of research and thousands of men and women researching this machine now for over 150 years, and we still don't know everything. We're just right. scratching the surface, if you will. We've got a, a biology that sophisticated requires a designer. I, you, right. you come at some point, this isn't an accident. There's right. too many fortuitous, um, amazing coincidences and miracles that happened in that building of that biology. When you come to that conclusion, then you, you the resurrection's easy. Right. Once you've made the, uh, the instrument, have the design, know how it works, breathe, it, breathe life into it, understand what life is, what the essence of life is because you're the grantor of it. Resurrection's easy. Um, once, you, once you've put all those things in their context, I think resurrection's a, is, is not out of the realm of possibility. On the other end, there has been no other resurrections other than what we read in the New Testament. There's been no other resurrection. So death has a pretty good record. Uh, billions and billions to Just three. that one loss. Just that one <laughs> loss, a buzzer beater. But it's the hope that yeah. we have that, 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 G, that death is no uh, hurdle for Jesus to overcome. Um, it, it's, it's not something we have to fear now because he's faced it for us. So I'm, I'm getting out of the, the ballpark here with the topic, but put, putting these in perspective. So these are just things that came to mind. The 12, 12 devout Jews changed their beliefs <clears throat> on a dime and changed their beliefs to something that they were willing to die for. So devout, raised Jews within a period of a few, well, three years, changed their religion and were willing to die for what they changed it to. Something happened there. Right. And uh, in the New Testament's writings, some of the, the writings that we have are within, so some of the copies that we have are within 100 years of Jesus' life, and, 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 re and I'm sorry, in, within 100 years of his crucifixion and resurrection. They could easily, easily have been debunked in that 100 years. And in that 100 years, the movement's growing, not, right. not getting smaller. So the momentum is gaining in that hundred years because the story's true. Either it's true or somebody would have stepped up and said, it's not true. Right. I saw his body. Um, it's buried at such and such grave. 
Well, and Paul points that out when he writes that mm. Jesus appeared to 500 people after yeah. the resurrection, and he flat out says in the scripture, if you don't believe me, go ask the people. Yep. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So some have died, but most of them are alive. So if you don't believe this story about the resurrected Christ, there's a bunch of people you can ask. Then the other theories, well, maybe they misplaced the body in the wrong grave. There's actually one of the gospel that says they went to this grave and the, they were shown that this was the grave to make sure that everybody knew that this was the grave. Right. So that, accidentally that was right. in, in the, included in one of the gospels. So, so this means the claim of the New Testament were not debunked early when witnesses were alive who could have destroyed the movement with the testimony. They could have stood up and said There's, it didn't happen. 5,000 early copies of the New Testament within one to, one to 300 years were written. And if somebody was going to write into that legend that, that Jesus really did resurrect as, a, as part of a made-up story about him, they would have had to find all 5,000 of those copies, change them, and then redistribute them. Um, and chasing down 5,000 copies in those years I, would have been impossible. Um, to, change, uh, to change or to work in legend into the story and accounts, one would have to... I, I, sorry, I already said that. Writing the book that, of Acts, so I'm trying to, to get, lay down the groundwork, and this, I think this is in the case for Christ, uh, the groundwork for why we think the, the Gospels and the um, New Testament writings were written within Jesus, within Paul's lifetime, for sure, obviously within Paul's lifetime, but close to the, the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It, we start with uh, Acts. Acts was written about, essentially about Paul. Right. There's no mention of Paul's death in it. Correct. That would have been 67 AD. Acts refers to the Gospel of Luke. So Luke was written before Acts. Right. So within a few years, I would guess you'd go back a few years from, from uh, the writing of Acts. Luke apparently includes some of the writings of some of the um, testimony of Peter, mm -hmm. and that's included in the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark was written before that, so the Gospel of Mark was written before Luke. So you're getting really close to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I'm saying that because the writings were close enough, there would have been witnesses. There right. would have been people who could have debunked it right. and said it, it's yeah, not it's true. Yeah, it's not how it happened. But the movement kept building in light of the fact that this testimony was this these uh accounts were out there and being copied and spread spread around that the known world at the time all right the the accounts vary um so the four gospel accounts vary in small details less than two percent i would say but so people say well isn't that is that proof uh, proof that it's it's uh fake or they right. made it up. I would say it would be proof that it's made up if they all said exactly the same exactly, thing. Exactly, right. Um, so you have the account for eyewitness testimony on my way over time. No, no, it reminded me that's the first law of a good cheater. Don't say it verbatim of what you're looking on the other. you got to change it up a little. And this is how I teach my kids. Is like you cheated I, in school, said, didn't you? If we were all watching a baseball game and we were all saying what happened in the last inning, we would all say it slightly differently, but we would be telling the same story of what occurred. That's we would game. just maybe you watched it from third base and I watched it from first base, right. and somebody watched it's it from a different the outfield. Perspective. And, and we're all going to say the same thing, just in a slightly different way. And we would different all way. say that the Cardinals won or the Cardinals <laughs> lost. We Probably not this year, but outcome. Right, right. that's right. Outcome the outcome would be the same. <laughs> yes, Ouch, that hurts. So the accounts of uh, again uh, the, the discrepancies between the Gospels are, to me, the 
attribute it, or account for the veracity of the, the accounts. It makes them more valid than it disproves them. Okay. Tom, you got the, something? Oh, yeah. It's probably going to be roundly right. the same. He right. covered all the basis. Uh, Lee Strubbles, The Case for Christ, of course, was my go-to. I read that years ago, and it's such an easy read. It really is, and he breaks it down so simply. Uh, anybody can read it. But uh, a couple of the points I was pulling off of his was, you know, first we need to establish some people don't even believe Jesus actually walked the earth. Correct. They think he's just a mythical creature, you know. So do we have evidence that he actually walked the earth? I think the Gospels, yes, are one of those. I look at competing faiths, like especially probably Christianity's enemy or foe, you know, Muslims in quotations. They even believe Jesus walked the earth. They just don't believe he's the son of God. Right. So I think we could establish, okay, this was a man that walked the earth. So that's where I start. Um, kind of some of like the secular things, there, there are no bones. If, if, what would those be worth? Wouldn't somebody <laughs> want to produce those bones? If you claim to have the bones of Christ, uh, well, you would be king of the earth, you right. know? So n just the fact that nobody's ever produced those or said mm -hmm. they have them in a temple or something kind of shows me that there's some validity that sure. they don't exist. Well, because yeah, and it's the Jews at the time, the, the whole establishment, and then the Romans, and they all wanted Jesus dead. They protected this tomb. If there was a body, they would have produced it. Like, see... He, oh, we got it right here. They would have marched oh, him here's his the body. Yeah. Everybody calm down. We've yeah. got the body. This is, they're all, they made it up here. They would have yeah. found it. The enemies of the faith, which was the greater known world, would have done, they would have moved heaven and earth to find that body. So that's another case that just shows that I believe he rose. Um, like in the case for Christ, um, they break it down very simply. Jesus was either a liar, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. Right. And with the descriptions of what we use as science now, the people that deny Christ, scientifically he wasn't a liar because we've proved right. so many times he wasn't. He wasn't a lunatic because he showed no signs of that in his articulation. Right. So basis is he was Lord. Um, one of the things you've spoke before, my belief in the resurrection partly accounts for it being real. Right. I'm not so a lunatic and air quotes i'm not well, trying to, you know debatable. but you know you look at a faith of a amount of people um legends take an amount of time and in the book of mark they say that it was even uh no thought to be within seven years of jesus's death when that started writing like you said legends occur over time like the telephone game these are first-hand accounts um with the amount of people um let me see with, with the amount of people that are aggressive to the faith, you would think by now, nearly 2,000 some odd years later, they would have had enough evidence to disprove it. You know, they're, right. they're doing everything true. they can. Right. And I have, I think, any maturing Christian, if you can present a good argument, like you said, intellectually honest, I will listen to your argument. Right. There's been things I've been swayed on here or there. Sure. There is no scholar, no PhD, no Albert Einstein that can disprove this. And you know they are trying. Right. And then um, in legends or lies, um, don't stand the test of time. So you look at the Christian faith as still vibrant and still growing. You have to have a solid foundation. Otherwise, it would have collapsed by now. You know, you start something on a lie, it's, you can only carry that for so long. Right. So this and would a, they have died for that lie? Right, right, right. right. Especially right. if they knew what the body so that's was. It. So that the Christian faith is still vibrant and moving is just another testament to the foundations it was built on. Amen. Uh, so everybody that knows me knows I'm not an organized person, but I do love organized approaches. And Hank Hanegraaff uh, just comes up with the word f feats. 
So, you know, you, you do, a, you do a, a feat, you accomplish a feat, F-E-A-T-S, fatal torment. You know, the, the, they try to use the swoon theory that he just passed out. He well, just fainted. That's correct. He, ju- he just, I mean, meaning- In the coolness of the tomb, revived him, right. and he walked right, right on, moved like a several thousand pound stone and snuck past guards. Which beaten, scarred. After having a spear thrown, open. put through his yeah. pericardium. We're talking about months of recovery. Right, right. right. Well, and yeah, we, if even. We talked about that. Nobody would follow a guy that was just limping out yeah. of the grave. I mean, that, Let me help you here, little take buddy. Up your cross and that wouldn't you know. that would not make the disciples come out of hiding. Like the disciples no. just scattered. Right. Like they were scared to death and locking themselves up and there's they wouldn't have come alive and if he ready to crawl into right. bleeding. And, and I've unfortunately, you know, see people near oh, right. near the, right. you know, um, trying to go see Jesus is, you know, if you will, I'm just trying to say it delicately, but that it, it's not a fast recovery, like Gavin was saying. He, if that Once. were even possible, think of someone you know that had that gotten really sick in the hospital and had to go to rehab, mm-hmm. and it, it took forever. It, this wouldn't have been a one-day turnaround unless he were indeed the son of God, of course. So fatal torment, empty tomb. Like uh, Tom said, no bones. You know, that, the funniest thing on the, it was either Evie Hill or S.M. Lockridge, uh, both African-American preachers, some of the greatest we've ever had. And he said, I, I went to the Vatican, and he said, there's Pope bones here, Pope bones there, Pope bones everywhere. <laughs> he said, then I went to this strange tomb in Jerusalem. Hmm. No bones, you know, so empty tomb. Uh, appearances of Jesus, and we've talked about that. Jesus was seen by well over 500 people. Uh, transformation of apostles, so that's number four. So uh, F, fatal torment, E, empty tomb, A, appearances of Jesus, T, transformation of the apostles. Brother Gavin has said it so well. Uh, a man is not going to give his life for a false, to, to, to try to, you know, prop up a lie. He's not going to do that. He's not going to stand before the men that can kill him just the way they did Jesus and, and you know, risk it all. They're not going to do just it. Just by that time, what do you have to lose? If right. you're like, all right, man, it was a good run, guys. Yeah. We almost had them. Let's go get crucified and burned to death upside down. Right. You know, they're not, not going to do, do that. Uh, skeptic, skeptics conversions. Uh, so that's the S to feats. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the very man, uh, I'm just trying to remember, uh, Josh McDowell, um, Lee Strobel, somebody said someone else. Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron. Cameron. Uh, Sister Fogg sent that in. Uh, and, and so, you know, they're not going to leave. Like some of these men had uh, amazing careers, basically, in being an intellectual, and they had to give it up to follow Jesus. Now they ended up getting into a better career, you know, if you will. Um, and so uh, I, I love that approach, though. Feats, fatal Torment, empty tomb, appearances of Jesus, transformation of the apostles, and skeptical skeptics' conversions. Uh, Larry says a few years ago, some scientists said that the human body is self-healing, should last forever, but can't tell you why it stops. Uh, more people had seen him after his death, not just his followers. That's why it spread farther than just his followers. Amen to that. And so we also have outside resources that reported the resurrection. So even outside of the Bible, historians Correct. at the time, like Josephus. Correct. Um, wrote very clearly and these were people that were not followers of christ they weren't converts to christianity they were just recording history history so it's even recorded outside of the bible as a historical fact um a few other things we had discussed in our group was 
uh, just the embarrassment factor that occurred, such as uh, James is the brother of Jesus, and he didn't follow Jesus until after the resurrection. So that would be an embarrassing piece to include, like even Jesus' own brother didn't believe he was the Messiah until something had to change, something major. And then he follows Christ after the resurrection. But that's kind of, you know, something that if that weren't true, they maybe would have left that little piece out. Right. Um, the other thing was who discovered the empty tomb was women. And at that time, women weren't respected in the culture in the day. That's to put it loosely. So that, yes, yes. So for or women mildly. to be the one that found the empty tomb, that would have been maybe a little thing they would have tweaked. Or, you know what, let's change this to say that it was actually Peter. He got real brave and came out of yeah, hiding, and he's man. the one that found the tomb. Let's change it to sound better. <laughs> but they don't. They well, record the fact. men and, that wrote it, too, yeah. could have said it was men. So and, men that wrote the right, gospel. Right. Well, and to double down, women, especially in religious matters, you know, that's that's even looked upon far worse than just women of the day. You know, they even interject in a religious matter. That wasn't heard of. So, inle- so that just validates, again, the truth of the empty grave because of the women being part of the scene. And it validates what God truly believes about women, that in God's eyes they're equal, you know, which our world does not believe that. Our world doesn't want to believe that. They, they want to force the picture, and we'll get more into this in the next topic, uh, that, that, you know, we, that we view as Christians, we view women as a lesser role. Couldn't be anything further from the truth. And uh, so it, it, women were absolutely honored in Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. Yeah, I've often thought it was because they wanted the word to get out so that they sent the women to Aww, find the empty yeah, They had a little hairdresser so, studio. Yeah, yeah they had to, somebody had to get the word out uh, and get the facts straight, right. of course. Um, so the other part, we've talked about this too, how the disciples were so fearful, how they went into hiding, they locked themselves up, they're crucifixion happens and they try to cover their hide they're just trying to stay alive and that's how they were planning to stay um until they saw the resurrected savior and then they're like guys we got to get the word out enough of this we're we're ready we're ready to change the world um and finally found something within themselves that they believed in that jesus was and then they start recalling what jesus said and what jesus said and it all made sense um and then the one and i've thought of this my whole life um just imagining the scene at the tomb so they have Jesus in a tomb sealed with this enormous rock that nobody could move by themselves, not even a gr- if Let's just pretend for a minute that the disciples did get up the courage to come out of hiding, which they didn't. They could not have moved the rock by themselves, and they certainly couldn't have done it with the guards, which is part of the theory like, well, the guards fell asleep, right. and the disciples came and moved the rock. Stole the body. Right. And truth be told, these Roman soldiers at the time, if they lost a prisoner, they paid with their life. You bet. Um, this was no small thing. Right. They didn't lose prisoners. That's they, why they were so scared. these guards lost a dead guy. Yeah, exactly. So. so, I mean, this was no, this was a big deal. They wouldn't have fallen asleep. How do you move a rock that big and explain that you slept through it? Mm, it <laughs> seems a little fishy. Right. So. Well, and well look at, oh, go ahead. I was just saying, just look at archaeology. I think so many people, we are so jaded in America because we live in a 300-year-old sure. country, you know. You go over there, you see the ruins, some that are still beautiful standing that are two, three thousand, four thousand 4,000 years mm-hmm. old. Rome was an empire, right. you know, and so that's not made up. I think we just struggle in America to understand that that stuff actually happened. You bet. And one of my neatest things about the whole, you know, stone Jesus didn't roll the stone away. 
the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away for everyone to see he's not in there. If Jesus can't walk through stone, he's not Jesus type thing. And, and of course, it wasn't his physical body at that point, uh, or, and, it, and it was, I'm sorry. Um, and, and to me, that's just the, the miracle, the resurrection. I mean, it's almost uh, an understatement to call it a miracle, you know, because it was just so amazing. Um, I, I have not ever read through uh, the case for Christ, but I, I hear nothing but good stuff about it. It's worth reading. Yeah. He, he writes well. You can tell he was a Professional Pulitzer Prize right. winning right. Um, uh, journalist uh, before yeah, this. Right, so. right. He worked at a paper mm-hmm. in Chicago, right? right. Mm-hmm. Amen. So um, we'll move on to our next topic. And Ben has been preaching out of First Peter. And this is kind of a, um, a branch off of the sermon, if you will. And it's on the topic of submission, which in this day and age, a lot of people... Uh, for a, a many different reasons, want to shy away from the word submission altogether. But I mean, it we're is Americans. A, Come on, Terry. Yeah, I know. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna double down on it tonight. So there you go. Well, and and I'm just gonna uh, kind of rehash what I did Sunday, but then let you guys kick it around or disagree or whatever. Um, so what is submission? In my humble opinion, uh, submission is humility. It is preferring or esteeming your brother more important than yourself. It's following the proper order of structured leadership in government. I mean, think about it. You know, we've got police officers, we've got firefighters. When those guys show up, they need everyone there to do what they ask them to do. Chain of command. Chain of command, right. Um, I I stopped on an accident, this was years ago, and I just offered some assistance. And the person that was in charge, it was an ambulance situation. They just said, need, need you to, you know, get out of the way. Yes, sir. I, I submitted, you know. Um, and and I, I get it. I, I don't know what he knows. And, and I was there in case he needed two other hands to do something. He didn't. So, you know, so, so be it. Uh, it's following the proper order of structured leadership in government, job, school, church, family, leisure. Think about that. Try to have a golf game without submission. You know, right, to, to try to have a, a Frisbee game, whatever, you know, try to have a basketball game without submission. Um, I don't know if you guys know about the, the most latest. Of course, first of all, uh, I don't know how many Blues fans we have, but we lost a, a, a hero today. Stalwart, yeah. Yeah, uh, Bob Plager. And so with that said, uh, the biggest breaking news, though, until that broke, was that a hockey official was caught on a hot mic saying – Something about basically that he was planning on making a call. In other words, throwing the game. He, eh, no, but 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 it but it looks that way. Uh-huh. You know, it looked that way, and and because they're gearing up to get hockey in the betting world and everything. Well, you can't advertise yeah. that if the refs are, you know, fixing the game. Right, Ca- calling their shots. Yeah, no kidding. Submission. You, you got to have submission. So. You could call it one of the most important elements and disciplines of civilization. The opposite of humility brings strife, confusion, conflict, and a breakdown of effective completion of tasks. So submission is not just relegated to women and marriage, if you will, but to life itself. Submission first to God for salvation. Second to Christ as the Lord for the glory of God. Third to the Spirit for daily sanctification. The husband to his wife and children for their needs the wife and children to the father and husband for structural unity of the home, the Christian to the church and pastor, 
the Christian to the boss, the Christian to the government, etc. So that's my take on submission. And for it to be anything else, in my humble opinion, is a subversion of what it's meant to be. And so, you know, we, we can get all red-faced about what we think, but you've got to go to Scripture and let Scripture say what it is. It is one person submitting to another person for the sake of the Lord and for the sake of structure. Now, that, that doesn't mean uh, that you're a slave. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you don't have an opinion. It means there's a proper order for those opinions, so on and so forth. And so uh, wise is the husband and wife that takes a very non, uh, what would the word be, aggressive approach and just says, we're just going to figure out what God's word mean here means here, and then we're going to apply it to our home. And, and, and you're both going to agree to it. Amen. I would just take a little piece of what you've, you've said there and expand on a little bit. Yeah. There, there's a bad kind of submission. There's a submission that's by coercion, by fear oh, of harm or, or duress. Those are, there's just that kind of submission, and everybody wants to put all submission in that category. Right. But there's another submission that's liberating, that's freeing, that cultivates relationships that actually that relationships are not possible without submission to some degree. Um, so so in, in a good relationship, submission that's enthusiastic, grateful, um, even creative submission makes a relationship blossom. Um, you cannot have love, you cannot express love in a way that someone else can can perceive it or feel it without submission. You got you have to submit to the things that they need you bet. and and serve those needs so that they can feel love. That that's the way I mean you just can't have love without submission, period. Going back to the Garden of Eden, God had one rule. And submitting to that one rule was how they expressed love to God. Um, so you can't have a, a meaningful relationship without su submission being the the means for that love to be expressed. So, well, um, one of the things is uh, in in the court of law nowadays, a deathbed confession is miscible by law. So if somebody says something when they are dying, you can use that. They have nothing else to lose, and with what makes where I'm getting at with that is everything, people that don't want to believe in the Bible, I say, okay, well, it's a great moral book. You could use it to run a company. Sure. You could use it to run you a bet. nation. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's put aside. You know, I, I try to cater to get the conversation started. But with Jesus' last words on the cross, um, he, he actually had submission in it. And so the, his last words were, you know, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is forgiveness. All right. uh, the true, verily I say unto you, thou shalt be with me in paradise. That is salvation. Uh, woman, behold thy son. Um, that is relationship. Number four was, uh, Eli, Eli, lama bakthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is um, abandonment. Number five was distress, when he says, I thirst. Number six was when he says, it is finished, that is triumph. And number seven, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And that is the submission. Right. He is submission, and with submission brings reunion. Right. And so, you know, he has put that into his design. A submission is part of, those was his last words on the cross. He had to submit to the Father. Amen. Voluntary submission is an expression of love. Bet. So this passage in First Peter is looking at, it's bringing up government, it's talking about your workplace, if you will, like your, how you can, there's a hierarchy at work, right. that's, there's a boss and there's a 
an employee. That's just how it works. It's addressing that and it's addressing marriage. So, um, but in all three of those points, the point is to point people to Christ. Right. So when you're following the proper order of things and when you're doing it without bucking the system and constant complaining, you're winning those people to Christ. Um, I heard someone say that submission is not doing something you were going to do anyway or doing something that, you know, you were, if you were acting alone, you would have done it. That's not submitting anything. That's doing what you were just going to do. Right. Um, but it is sacrificing something, whether it's your opinion, right. whether it's um, your feelings, maybe it's holding your tongue, maybe it's just doing something you think is, well, this is dumb. I, I, well, let's do it. Because ultimately, the one that's in charge is the one that has to take the fall. And I can remember someone saying way before I was ever even married, that women, if you understood what God has called a man to do, the role of leadership, you wouldn't fight him. You wouldn't buck, you just let him lead like he is supposed to lead. You wouldn't want to uh, make it any harder for him. Let him lead. And ultimately, too, the one that makes the decision is the one that has to pay the price for the decision. Um, and essentially, as women, oh, we have a saying in our house, and I'm, I'm sad for this, is a, a, a phrase that comes up often, which is, I'll tell on myself here, you'll listen to me one day, and I might as well get it put on a t-shirt. <laughs> and I swear to you, uh, I almost think, could it be that God is on my husband's side because he is so right so much? What? And it's almost as if, even if I was possibly right, if I did something that was against being a submissive wife, it's just going to go wrong no matter right. what because God's punishing me for I swear it, I swear. Because sometimes I feel like I'm so right, that should have worked out. It didn't, though. It, it didn't. It, it Love didn't. keeps no record of wrong. <laughs> Thank Amen. God. Let's hope. Amen. <laughs> so, again, guys, you know, I was raised uh, by an extremely submissive mom, but I didn't know until dad died why she was submissive. In other words, my mom is an extremely strong-headed woman. I know that now. <laughs> I never saw that when my dad was alive because she's also a very spiritual woman, and she understood submission, and she practiced it and the such. And so now I'm not saying that him and her didn't have their kafafels behind closed doors, you know, uh, but, but that's where they had them, you know, and, and the such. Uh, and and we, can, we can talk about that in a different topic on, on how good that is to husbands and wives not to have some arguments in front of their kids so that they know real life happens and things of that nature. With all that said, um, it took years for Dawn and I to understand what the biblical submission, if you will, expectation for our marriage was. And I was about as wrong as anybody, you know, when it came to that. I, I thought every woman brought tea to their husband, you know, after their work day because mom did it every day of the world. I thought every wife walked to the TV and changed the channel to wherever he wanted it because she did that every day of the world, you know, right. And, and so I had a very rude awakening, you know. Uh, but, I mean, the reality is, too, God protected me from necessarily expecting that. I, but I just, when it came to talking about decisions and, and things that I, I just didn't know, you know. And, and that, that goes back to the whole marriage counseling thing of the scripts, 
you know, the wife has a script and the husband has a script, and they bring those two scripts together, and they, they're going to change, and they're going to become a new script, and, and you've got to be okay with that, and you've you got to talk about it. And I, I heard a preacher say once, submission is submitting to the mission, and it's not about I and me, it's us and we, and right. making the decisions Oneness. in those directions. Yeah. Oneness. And, and one of the best things that I ever heard was about the warnings of the wife. Because, you know, we, we can sit here and talk about the wife submitting, but the husband also needs to submit to the, the wisdom of that teaching. You know, if the wife has a warning, he better listen. Uh, and, and I have been faithful to Dawn to ask her on that. And she's been faithful to the Lord not to use that as a hammer against me. Because, you know, you could easily turn that into manipulation. Yeah, yeah, I have a warning. You'll you, you <laughs> listen you, to me one day. That's right. That's right. I, I have a warning. You can't buy that gun. You know, and such of that nature. But she doesn't do that. But but on the days that she does have a warning, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm I'm out, I'm done. You know, and so anyway, <laughs> I'm I'm starting to list. Uh, you guys uh, text me more if you think of them. I've got Bethel tees now. I'm gonna, I've got the trademark for Bethel t-shirts. You listen to me one day. Uh, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. Yeah. N- need seen assignment given. Yeah. Yeah. Lot pitched his tent <laughs> with pitched, pitched intent in capital. Not a t-shirt. <laughs> Sorry. I feel like there's one of Gavin's triangles in this, though. Ah. That, yeah. <laughs> but in all seriousness, the closer that we get to God, the better we, the easier it is to practice submission. That's there's no doubt. The humility. I, I mean, because you know, when I was 27 years old, when I got married. I, I knew everything, you know, still at that point. Well, I believe that. And Jesus calls us to be holy, to be yeah. set apart. And yeah. uh, submission is everything we are not. Correct. It is everything against our better nature, you know. Our it, pride. Ooh. Yeah, if you don't want to do something, it's because you're about to submit to something, be whatever it is. Your, your bills, like you said, the authorities. I don't want to pull over when I see the cop behind me, but I better yeah, do this, it. This speed limit is off anyway. Yeah, Why would they even you know, make it that slow? It, or? I would almost probably say anything in our life that we don't like is some form of submission. That's right. pretty That's pretty good, Tom. Amen. All right. So our third and final topic is a mystery night. We haven't done a mystery night in a while, so this is how the game is played. Each one of us brings a mystery topic, and we get to randomly select which topic it will be. So, I don't have a coin or anything. <laughs> well, a coin won't work either. with four people. I know. Yeah. Well, so, with three. Uh, uh, I'm already out. I yeah, don't have a mystery topic. So, you think of a number. Okay. Uh, between one and ten. I've got it. All right, go. Four. Three. Ten. Two. There you go. Okay, Gavin. So, so my mystery topic goes. Yep. Can we wow. at least say what so, ours were? Well, let's just see how long it takes. And let's see how good it is. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. we might only. When, he might only get ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, it might not take take that long. So this this topic was inspired by me walking through my garage. <laughs> when does collecting become hoarding? And when all things moderation. To, when you have to build another shed to hold the stuff. <laughs> when you can when you can do a radio topic on your collection. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the difference between collecting and hoarding? Mm. Is one healthy? Is one well, I think it if you want to call it collecting. Yeah, define collecting. <laughs> well, there's different categories of collecting. So if you, if for instance, if you collect bottle caps, the little bottle cap yeah. things going way back. I yeah. mean, there's some really old, old bottle caps that people collect. Or um, 
watches or you know beer cans used to be a big thing. I know that would, hopefully that wouldn't be a big thing for for the Baptist group, but for deacon especially. For deacon especially, yes. I didn't have. A, well, it depends not, on how much it's worth. I mean, I don't know what kind of collection. <laughs> collectors, <laughs> yeah, kidding. it's valuable. It says deacons, not much. Worth. Yeah, maybe <laughs> that's the answer. Is does it have an actual value? Then it's collecting. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just junk. Yeah, yeah. junk. Yeah. Now there, I've got some in that category, definitely in my in my garage, and some of the stuff, other other stuff, is valuable stuff that I need, eventually. Right. <laughs> you might need it. Well, you might so need eventually, you know, <laughs> look at America. I mean, oh. we, we we are a materialistic. Lord people. help. We have. Remember, we talked about the storage units. Yeah, yeah that, that's could, where I was going. They store up all we we have so much stuff, and they're building more in Lawndale. Oh, why? I mean, why not? We've got a lot of stuff to hang on to. <laughs> And now they're climate controlled. So, so you can keep that $10 <laughs> Walmart thing and pay $75 a month for it. To keep it. To keep it. Clean yeah. and dry. Something I would say about collections, I'm known to have lots of odd things <laughs> here and there. My collections inspire me to do other things. Um, I think that would be something in hoarding. Yeah, but if it inspires you to collect more stuff, is that necessarily a good thing? Is that healthy? <laughs> I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. <laughs> Uh, I, no, but see, Tom, that's just it. You turn that stuff into something, right. and then you either sell yeah. it, you know, yeah. or, or, or whatever. So I don't have a problem with that. Um, I, 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 I'm not organized enough to collect stuff, uh, you know. Now I don't throw hardly anything away, and I end up using it, you know, to some level. Um, I, my, my thing is, I, I have that mindset, but then when I act, that the circumstance arises that I would use it. You can't find it. Well, it's I, in the pile somewhere. I just saw something. You know, the collections and hoarding and that, if there's something so precious to you that moth and rust will destroy, you can't get rid of it. It is a sin. It has become a god mm. in your life. Maybe so that's I think, how you get through the garage. Ouch, yeah, Tom. so, you know, you, you grab something. If you can't throw that away, <laughs> there there's that's detrimental to your health. There, there's a couple things like, you know, some of Dad's tools or sure. his dad's Sentimental tools, that, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. I'd have our time. But like a peanut them. butter jar full of rubber bands, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's pretty and random. Everybody there to, laughs. Yeah, real world experience. Because everybody has that somewhere at their house. Yeah. That's why they're like. My mom was twisted. Or is that from when you were over at Randy's the other day? Well, sure. <laughs> if, if you could, when growing up, if you could fit it in a peanut butter jar, my mom had three of them. I mean, bottle tops, twisty ties, rubber bands. You just, if it fit in there, it was in a cabinet. So, yeah, I don't think that's healthy. You know what I think the difference is? Because I'm not a collector or keeper of things. Or, yeah, I just don't hang on to anything, it feels like. I don't, <laughs> this is going to sound terrible. I'm not overly sentimental towards objects. And so I don't really have a problem you know, just I like, I'm done with this, haven't touched this in a while. Nobody's ever going to look at this. Oh, the kids aren't going to want this someday. I'm never going to. I just throw things away. And now that we live in the woods, we just burn it. It's great. <laughs> I think it's great. We'll let you. Take that, Mother Earth. <laughs> well, and, you Take know, that, Mother Earth. The, the sentimental value of what you're talking about. Right. You know, I think about I have nothing of any family, really. I have my dad's old beer can collection up in the rafters. You know, that's something that I remember as a kid. That's one of the few things I have of him. I think that is the reason why I collect so many things. So when I'm gone, my kids might have a 40-yard dumpster, but they're going to be able to say, oh, I remember that, or I remember that. So I'm going to put it on them. I collect more for my children to have something of me that I don't have of my family. So I was, this is years and years ago, I won't say the name because some of you may know, and it's nothing bad, nothing bad at all, but I was visiting. They both had surgeries at the same time, meaning man and wife, so I went over to, to see him, but also to see if I could help. And he, he needed something. And he said, uh, 
Then if you'll go down to the basement, it, it was one of those uh, deals where it was just a full basement underneath, and he said, go straight in. Two aisles in, turn to the right. <laughs> Two stacks to the right. Right there is so-and-so. I need that. I just looked at him like, oh, okay. So I went down there. Sure enough, I opened the door, turned on the lights, and it is just full of tables. Look, look, looks like it's ready for a garage sale. Full of tables. I went two rows deep, turned to the right, two stacks to the right. There it was, what he said. I brought it to him. And I said, well, brother so-and-so, looks like you're getting ready for your estate sale. <laughs> it's already oh, no, you did not say that. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, because that's what it looked like. Awesome. And, and, yeah, it was just stuff. Where and your does it have, is there your heart and does it awesome. have a purpose? You know, uh, I don't. I don't think Craig would be upset to say like it looks like he's got a forty-acre basement, but everything has a purpose. He, he could probably sustain life for a few years. Oh, there's no God. doubt. So you know, yeah, that's a large collection, but it has a purpose. Matthew six nineteen through twenty-one. Lay down up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where in moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break in and steal, break through to steal. We worry about it then. There we have it. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I mean, we, the, the, the fail safe for a Christian is the Holy Spirit will be your guide. And, and if the Holy Spirit convicts you, you need to get you know, you need to clean it up. Yeah. Or whatever the case may be. Uh, but literally, I mean, in this day and age, uh, you know, look at all the survival stuff that we're talking about now because of COVID, what we went through the last year. We might be in a barter system soon. Land <laughs> sakes. Yeah. Maybe you do need it. Right. And, and you, I've got a you know, a book on hacks and, and such. Well, you don't throw nothing away because you, you can start fires with that stuff, you know, or whatever. <laughs> dryer lint. You can kill Peanut stuff with it. Peanut jars full of dryer lint. Great tinder. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I've got a yeah. thing full of so it. You better believe it. Support and limp lint. I can't throw it away without going, because I've already got so much of it stored away. I can start a bonfire right now. Uh all right, well, we got time for another topic? We do. Do you not have your thing tonight? I actually do not. So oh I, get to, I get to play for the we get entire, to the entire I get the entire length of All right, the so recreation. It's down the, do you have a topic, too? No. Okay, so uh, it's down in the end time now, so yep. do another number. Okay. All right, here you go. Go, Tom. Uh, two. Five. It was two again. <laughs> I just thought go, that Tom. would trick you. That's so weird. I brought a plethora of pictures. Oh, brands. Well, he oh, said he was great. at dinner and bing, 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 bing. And I think Mandy said, what is that? She's like, it's Tom. It's you Tom. Know? So it's usually. So one day coming to a pulpit near you or a small group, I, I, for years I've been saying archaeology and science is catching up with Christianity. Yeah. Um, and so on March 14th, uh, Israeli archaeologists announced that they made another discovery of a scrolls. dozen or so Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, with like Jesus's resurrection and all that, there's some people that have are trying to disprove the original Dead sure. Sea Scrolls. So you can see in Radio Land, but these are some pictures of where they are finding these Dead Sea Scrolls. So when did this occur? Back March up, I'm 14th. sorry. March 14th. Of this year, yeah. of yeah. 2021. Yeah, and it's been 60 some odd years since they found the first initial Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, so some uh, facts here that um, they said it's uh, these biblical texts in a cave believed to be hidden during a Jewish revolt against Rome uh, nearly 1,900 years ago. With this, they found what they believe to be the world's oldest basket. There's a picture there. Um, it's got Greek texts from books of Zechariah and Nahum. And uh, here are some uh, arrowheads and uh, tools that they found in there. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls included fragments from every book of the Old Testament except the book of Esther. And uh, scholars believe that it's either 
disintegrated or it's yet to be discovered. That's easy enough to... Sure. It's either here or it isn't. Um, and so I brought uh, six facts that you might not know about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, they've always interested me. And let me see, I'm pulling it up here. I got it on my phone. So uh, this kind of goes to, like, with the resurrection. Mm-hmm. What proof do we have? Right. Well, uh, teenage shepherds... Act- Shepherds accidentally stumbled upon the first set of Dead Sea Scrolls in 1946 or early 1947. And it was basically teenage goat herders were going through these hills like we saw, and they were throwing rocks. And they threw a rock down this one cave, and they heard something shatter. Hmm. Well, so when they went down into it, they found um, over eight to 900 manuscripts in clay jars. That's where it started. Uh, some of the Dead Sea Scrolls were actually sold in the classified section of a newspaper. Oh, my gosh. So when they first got these, you know, we live in a 300-year-old nation. They live in thousands-of-year-old right. nations. So this was nothing really new to them. And uh, uh, a group of um, men bought a large, some of them for $100, kind of like in an antique mall. Well, they had migrated their way to the United States, uh, start, some of it being Yale University. Nobody knows for sure who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, but it says they were written between 150 B.C. and 70 A.D., and according to prevailing theory, they are the work of a Jewish population that inhabited Karam until the Roman troops destroyed their settlement about 70 A.D. So these are, you know, again, for the case for Christ, these are papers that were historically accurate to the times. Uh, Almost all of the Hebrew Bible is represented in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, so I thought that was neat. Uh, most of it is in Greek, but some of it is in Aramaic Greek, which was Jesus's language. Uh, that's where Hebrew was not the only language. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls included a guide to hidden treasure. Hmm. It sounds like of uh, national know, treasure. Indiana yeah, Jones. Yeah, yeah. Yes, if it wasn't art. the hidden treasure. Right, but it was called uh, the Copper Scrolls, and they said that these were. They wanted them to last longer, so there was more than 60 spots in Israel and all that that was gold and uh, uh, silver caches, mm. and none have been found to the state, but they believe the Romans, through their pillaging, possibly found all that. But I want to just hit this topic, because this was just found, you know, less than a month ago, so what else is out there? And then it kind of asked my, you know, I asked myself, well, what if we find something that's new to us? As Christians, are we going to be open to take it in and think, hey, this could be like a part of the Bible we don't know about. That would be another uh, discussion. Is it all here? Do we have it all? Um, if it refutes something we might believe, do we discount what we don't like and take what we do like? But it's just unique that over 2,000 years later, we are still finding remnants of right. early Christian writing. So um, just to go back to the case for Christ, tie it all back together at the end here, is a whole chapter on manuscripts. And the manuscripts of the Bible, there's over 24,000, I believe, New Testament manuscripts. And they found manuscripts all over Europe, Asia, the Middle East, in all different languages. And they were so perfectly preserved. And they were within like 98% accuracy of Mm -hmm. each other, even though they are in different continents and different languages and written at different times, just to show how perfectly the Bible was preserved. Right. And if it was a lie, these, these ones that they just found, they found, they called in the Cave of Horrors. 
And uh, they said it's an Yikes. eighty an foot repel over a sheer cliff huh. to get into this. How'd they get in there in the first place? People of that time to go through this amount to preserve them. to preserve something that's a lie or fake or right. made up. It just mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. Right. Well, so uh, something you said there, I just kind of want to turn on its head. We have found all these, and there's not anything in any of these that has contradicted God's word. True, Nothing. exactly. It's, so, if, if anything, it strengthened it, right, the, right. the validity Absolutely. of the Bible that right. we have today. Right. I, I guess it's just poetic thinking or the artistic vision. I don't know what it is, but sure. like, how much more are we going to see? But yeah, like, you're exactly right. It right. hasn't added or subtracted to what we already know. And we would have heard it if it had. Oh, oh my goodness, my goodness yeah. 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 Oh, um, amen. Is that time for the third one? We have six minutes. So basically, my mystery topic was uh, the introduction of Sunday's message. Uh, traps of problem passages. Because we're dealing with a problem passage Sunday. The passage Sunday, it talks about Jesus going into hell and preaching to the spirits. I want to tell you what that does and does not mean. But before I do that, I'm going to encourage you not to fall into the traps of problem passages. The difficult problem takes away from the most important and easily understood point of the passage. Too many times when you get into a problem passage, all you want to do is concentrate on the problem. You don't want to concentrate on the passage. Uh, the second trap is they are allowed to cast doubt, but we do not let this stop us on other things. Uh, I don't know how my car operates. It doesn't stop me from getting it and driving it all over the planet. I don't know how it operates. I don't understand it. I'm not smart enough, if you will, or probably closer to the truth. I don't care enough to dive into the mechanics of how a car works. could care less. I use it every day. I don't understand how the surgery works for my hip. But he did it, and I've been walking on it for 12 years, yada, yada, yada. So why do we apply that, if you will, uh, unrealistic thing to Scripture? Well, that doesn't make sense, therefore Scripture doesn't. You know. Well, and I think, I mean, if I can understand everything that the creator and sustainer of the universe can understand, then he wasn't much of a creator. Right. Um, yeah. so. that, that's another Lee Strobel principle. Right. He says, you know, I don't understand how my VCR works. Right. I guess when yeah, you wrote yeah. that. Still so to this day. I, and then, but the same thing. Still to this day. The case for Christ. We will look at when the, mouse, when the mouse trap was invented. It had 15 working parts, and people said, genius. That is genius. But you look at the molecular structure of a human, and we don't believe that it has a creator, and it's right. not genius. So, yeah. You want to make me mad, pull something out of something and leave it out of the TV and the VCR stuff. It makes me mad. Okay. Uh, they became. I would never do that. I, I know. I know. My kids do it every day. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know how it works. They become, th these problem passages become gigantic sidetracks to the intellectual who thinks he has figured it out, and he makes it his mission to push that doctrine. Uh, I don't know if you've ever come across somebody that has just went to seed on something. This actually happened with somebody I love and respect a great deal, and she came across, it was a theological statement, and just kind of really went for it, and in the, and I, you know, in the middle of the dissertation I was receiving, I was like, you know, I just feel like, do we even know for sure that what you're saying is right or that what I'm saying is right? If we don't know 
why would we hunker down on why would we die on this battlefield because i think there's things we're just not going to know and understand well, until we're in heaven he's called so, a great mystery you know right. that's one of the things and the bible does warn us of that me and dr hooks here have talked we can get caught on such a rabbit hole and start arguing and bickering and what about this and the cosmos and all that when we could have been just glorifying christ the oh. whole time I always have said that's one of Satan's greatest tools where you can divide, you conquer. You're right. So uh, They become more discouragement to those that find the Bible difficult, and they give up on applying the understood passages. You know, I mean, because th th there's so much in the Bible that it's so easily understood. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Well, when you get into that problem passage and you think, well, okay, I can't understand it, you just give up on Christianity. You know, Some people are looking for that ticket. Well, there's no Some doubt. Some people are looking for that ticket. And th there's no doubt. Uh, so how to not fall into these traps? Uh, the discipline of the disciple. The eternal fruit of the righteous is only enjoyed by the disciplined disciple. So you and I have got to be willing to do the hard work to roll up the sleeves and get busy. And it, at least come to the point that, okay, I'm not going to understand this, but this does not shake my faith into what I do understand. I believe that Christ rose from the dead. I believe that Christ lives within me through his spirit. I believe that he has a great commission for me to do, so on and so forth. And I'm not going to let whether or not there is a span of time in between let there be light and, you know, the void of the earth. I'm not, I'm not going to let that stop me. You know, it's called the gap theory. And, and there's been a lot of people that ha it, it has completely shipwrecked their faith because the gap theory. Yeah, who cares? Who gives a yeah. rip? Uh, so anyway, I'm going to go into more depth uh, Sunday, but, but that's just a, a little bit of whetting the appetite, and that's, that's just the introduction. That was free. You know, I drive a nine-year-old truck. I've been driving it personally about three years, and we just found a hidden compartment that I've <laughs> sat on for three years. Oh, you that's know, it's funny. like we are very simple-minded oh, yeah. creatures. Yeah. And I, I think that God, uh, when you go to him with a legitimate concern or seeking for, for understanding a passage, That'll be a journey, and that'll be a spiritual journey worth taking. Amen. My experience has been that'll be a spiritual journey worth taking. Good stuff. Yep. I, we'll I hear them coming. Next week. Yep. Thank you, guys. Excellent. Attendance tonight.